Welcome to the Ignite Physio Podcast. This is episode number 23, and I'm your host, Andrew Kopian. Today, we're going to be talking about concussion management. And I know it's a hot topic in uh, not only the news media, but also within the physiotherapy community, just even witnessing the number of new courses that are coming out around concussion management. And so for today's episode, I interview Cody Isaac. She's a physiotherapist in Edmonton, Alberta, and runs Isaac Physiotherapy. And we chat about how she got started with concussion management, and we cover a lot of interesting topics as it relates to concussion treatment and care uh, for our patients. She provides some great recommendations and tips in terms of what to look for around concussion courses. Well, I hope you enjoy this interview, and I look forward to catching you the next time. So today we're going to be talking about concussion management, and I have with me on the show Cody Isaac. She's a physiotherapist and private practice owner from Sherwood Park, Alberta, and she has over nine years of experience as a physiotherapist. Uh, she graduated from the U of A with a Master of Science in Physical Therapy in 2007 and began her focus on concussion management in around uh, 2010. She also has her sport uh, physiotherapist certification and uh, has, is really passionate about uh, continuing her professional development in um, interpreting uh, the impact score uh, test measure, um, sport-related concussion training, and vestibular rehab. Uh, in 2013, she opened Isaac Physiotherapy, and it's a private clinic in Short Park uh, dedicated to sport and concussion rehabilitation. Cody, welcome to the show. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, so uh, fill, uh, fill in the, the listeners with a little bit more about your, um, your background, maybe some things that I missed in terms of your profile. You know, I, I did my very first concussion presentation before graduation, um, actually, and that came about in kind of an interesting little way. I had a, a clinical instructor, that, as, as always, where we're supposed to be doing a presentation as part of our as part of our placement, um, I had a few ideas that related to her practice. And she said, no, no, no. She said, I want to, what, what was the last thing you looked up on, on one of your searches, just, just because you wanted to know. And I told her it was concussion. And she said, that's what you're doing your presentation on. That's what you're going to present to our group of practitioners. And the group I presented to at that time included, uh, physios, OTs, um, physicians, nurses. What really uh, sort of made you focus uh, on concussion after graduation? What what was it that really uh, piqued your interest in this area? You know, there were a couple of key incidents. Um, one was long prior to physiotherapy for me. And then the other one was while I was a student. Um, but the first one was was being on the sideline of a rugby game with my brother, who was playing rugby at the time. Uh, he was involved in a in a big tackle and came running or well he didn't come running he came off to the side of the field uh his coach wanted him back on the field and in rugby you're not allowed substitutions um but he came off and he said i can't see my feet like I, like half of my vision is gone the coach at that point uh told him that he had to get back on the field because he didn't need to see his feet he just needed to catch the ball wow uh, and run he, uh, thank goodness he was uh, smart enough at the time <laughs> to say no. Yeah. Uh, and as an adult, that carried some weight. And, and he's always been an independent sort. So he knew something was wrong and he stepped off the field. That was, in fact, a concussion for him and not his first, um, not his last either. But he did come out of that extremely well. Um, years later, my neighbor... Uh, had a son who had a concussion. He did not fare so well. This was one of those long, drawn-out, six- to nine-month-in-the-dark-room scenarios. And 
the whole time I kept asking myself, why is this different? Um, is there something to do? Physiotherapy is a profession about doing. And it bothered me that there was nothing to do. It bothered me that there was no way to evaluate this injury. It bothered me that this young man sat in his home, missed a year of school, didn't graduate with his peers. Um, and, and nobody had any apparent recipe. Nobody had any apparent understanding of what this young man was going through. So that really, uh, yeah, those are some pretty personal stories that, uh, that you're sharing there. So how did that, uh, how did that, uh, fellow do like, did he do okay in the end or? Yeah. In the end, he's, he's fine. He's all grown up. He's yeah. moved out. He has a family of his own. He's working. Um, and and satisfied in his career it did change his life you can't go through an, an experience like that and not end up changed thankfully he has an excellent support system and i think that uh, there's a lot of good that has been able to come out of that but it was an extremely difficult time for him and for his parents well yeah no for sure and i understand that you have a lot of experience obviously uh, working with sports teams um and obviously you know with your sport physiotherapist uh, certification you know what uh you know any other experiences that um around concussion management that you've uh, that really stand out to you in terms of your your sport experience yeah sports teams are fun um i I have had the privilege of being involved with some professional athletes like the New Zealand Black Ferns and the uh, uh, Canadian Curlers. And coming up at the end of April, I'll be involved in, event, in an event here in Sherwood Park, uh, which is the uh, Champions Cup. I'll be behind the scenes offering physiotherapy services to the athletes from all over the world. Those are really neat experiences, but I've always managed to keep a very strong tie to minor sports. And minor sports, I think, especially in the concussion world, is where we have a huge, a huge impact to make. Uh, minor sports are often underserved as far as their first aid on benches and, and the skill of injury management, whether it be an, an ankle sprain or a wrist fracture. They are underserved in those areas. Being able to look after our youth who may or may not have a concussion, being able to take a conservative stand with knowledge behind it and say, you know what, it's just not safe for you to be on the field right now. We need to just take a few minutes or take a day and get a proper evaluation and then we'll decide whether you can get back on the field and how soon. It makes a big difference with our youth. They injure differently. They injure for a different length of time and they don't have what my brother had, which is the ability to say no. Yeah, that's a big, that's a big issue. There, there's a lot of pressure, it seems like, in terms of, uh, you know, getting back on the field. And I know that, uh, you know, even just watching, you know, some of the uh, World Cup soccer and that, and when you see some of these soccer players getting up after, uh, you know, a hit, and you're, you're thinking, my goodness, like, what is this actually telling kids in terms of, you know, uh, how they should be responding to um, impacts in, in their sport? Very true. And I'm beginning to develop a little theory about that. I would, I will tell you right now that there isn't any evidence yet to support it. But at the time of injury, I think is an athlete's least, lowest level of ability to evaluate themselves and evaluate their status. Um, for them to say something's wrong, there really is something wrong. Uh, but most of the time they're, they're in this zone where they have 
obligations. They have things that they um, intended to do and have every intention of finishing them. It takes an outsider to look at their behavior. Did they wobble on the field? Um, <clears throat> has their behavior changed, right? Where you have a normally polite person, have they become uh, aggressive or belligerent? Uh, it takes an outsider to see those things because I don't think they evaluate them well themselves. And that's the role of the first aid person on any sideline is to say, whoa, did something happen here? If so, we need to advocate for this person who may not be the best to advocate for themselves. You hear lots of stories in professional athlete worlds where the best game of their life was the one where they scored a hat trick in hockey but they don't remember it because they had been hit earlier in the game. Their skill is still there, right? In some cases. In other cases, their skill is gone. The sad part about that is that's the best game that player ever had, and they don't remember it. I think there's something, I think there's something wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it really I mean, speaks to what you're saying in terms of, of having that objectivity in terms of you know, whoever is um, needing to assess that player and putting aside some of that... Uh, need for um you know that competitiveness and saying okay what's what's really in the best interest of this player in the long term and not just for this particular game or, or tournament mm -hmm. some of the professional level sports are now taking um concussion timeouts where you know the athlete is forced to sit down for a time and allow somebody else to look at them well there's definitely been a lot of uh you know publicity and awareness around concussion management over the last couple of years. I mean, even just in terms of uh, the media, you know, and movies that have been coming out. And um, what, what's your take on that? Why, why do you think there is this increasing uh, awareness uh, and, and really a recognition of concussions? I think we started to learn more about them. I think they became more interesting to our researchers and to our doctors when people were, seemed to be struggling for so long, it, it becomes harder to ignore. Uh, you know, a, a ding or whatever that you recover from, and, and a huge number of people do recover from them very quickly without any difficulty at all. But that population of people that's had difficulty is the one that I think has caught the attention of our researchers and of our physicians and of our neurologists. And that has forced us to look at concussion differently than we did before, uh, before it was a non-entity uh, and it was just something that happened and it didn't really have any consequences. And we're now realizing that there are consequences to these injuries. Changing those consequences through proper management is where, where we're headed now and is where I see, the, see my role. Yeah, and what, what do you think in terms of, you know, uh, the typical or standard uh, response that, uh, you know, a patient receives who's had a concussion to say, well, you just need to rest and... Um, you know, and it and it should clear up, and you should be fine. Like, what what's your what are your thoughts on that? And is that typically sufficient? Or rest is is definitely the first step. And if you're looking at the pathophysiology of the injury, um, there's some rat models because we're not going to be doing this willingly to people. But there are processes in the brain that take place with a concussion injury. There are chemical processes um, that that take energy to resolve. And at the very same time that you need energy to put your calcium and your potassium back in place in the, in the various um, 
parts of, of the nerve cells, you have a decreased blood flow to the brain. And blood flow is how our brain gets energy. If we don't have the energy sources to man the pumps to get these chemicals back in place, we have a crisis. And that crisis is why we think that people have symptoms. So headache or dizziness or whatever the symptom might happen to be. It's an evidence that there's something in the brain that's not working right. So rest has to happen. It's just how do we define rest and what kind of rest is right for each person? Rest is actually fairly unique because the blood flow to the brain question is different for different people. And yet we don't have ways to adequately measure that clinically. Um, so you have these arbitrary rules of one week or two weeks or three days or whatever the case is. The arbitrary rules are also sometimes inadequate because to say you must have bed rest for one week or two weeks might be too much for one person and it might be adequate for another. Um, rest itself is variable. Is rest a complete withdrawal from everything that gives a person joy and pleasure in life? Or is it, is it dialing back, um, taking out the physical, limiting the cognitive mental thinking skills? But, you know, it's really tough to ask somebody not to engage their brain, that our, our brains are, are built to be engaged. It's just how do you decrease the load on the brain and how much do you need? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I remember that in terms of uh, treating a, a patient that uh, had a concussion. She was a student. And, you know, how do you, you know, obviously, you know, they can maybe do less homework or less study, but at the same time, in some sense, that's their work. And and how do you tell them to say, look, don't use your brain <laughs> in terms of, uh, you know, your everyday activity. And I think that that's, that's definitely a challenge. It, uh, you know, and, and how do you navigate that? Uh, effectively so that they aren't bringing on those symptoms again. It's true. And there aren't enough studies on rest. There aren't enough studies on physical rest and cognitive rest, but there are problems with both extremes. There are problems with r the dark room resting, and there are problems with pretending that you didn't have an injury in the first place and just going through life normally. Both extremes have problems somewhere in the middle probably customized is the right formula for each person. It's what is tolerable, what can be done without exacerbating any symptoms, and yet still understanding that there does need to be some kind of shutdown for some period of time right at the beginning of the injury is ideal. So I know there's a bit of a stereotype, uh, you know, that concussion really is only happening in sport, um, you know, and, and I know we've chatted in the past about uh, just to, you know, patients that, uh, that experience concussion that maybe we wouldn't necessarily think of uh, right off the bat. And I was wondering if you can maybe share a little bit about your thoughts on that. Concussion in sport is, is where we talk a lot. And I think a big driver in that is that that's where the research dollars are allocated. Um, concussion in sport is, is, is a part of sport, actually. Uh, any contact or collision sport has concussions associated with it. So it's a, you know, your, your exposure there is what drives that. And the ability of a university to have an automatic research pool drives that. So concussion research dollars are in primarily two areas. One is sport and one is military. 
because military is again and an, a type of job where concussion is just seems like it's it the more you are in the military the more you have active duty the more exposure you're going to have a blast injury concussion is quite a bit different than a sport injury concussion but that both those are are extreme not everybody's involved there concussions happen from falling in the winter there's always a certain number of concussions that uh, come through my door that have been slip and falls getting into and out of a vehicle stepping off of a curb concussions happen at work depending on what kind of work you do there's more or less risk associated with the jobs uh, they're just not as frequent i would say probably the next most frequent um, source of concussion in general population is probably motor vehicle because you have the mechanism of injury. You have a blow to, or a force that's transmitted through the body and, and affects the head. Have you been seeing uh, much in terms of concussions in the older adult? I mean, I'm just thinking in terms of what you're mentioning with falls. I mean, I'm sure that that's something that could be easily uh, undiagnosed or underdiagnosed, um, you know, given that there may be some... Uh, you know, overlap in symptoms? You know, there is a concern in that area for sure. Uh, the older adults are not always the ones that are coming through a private practice door, especially if they're already in care situations. Uh, so assisted living or... But th those scenarios, I would suggest, have, have care around them, whether the injury is identified or not. Um, they're not likely to come through a private practice door. Now, I know that uh, I've been noticing more in terms of the literature, uh, you know, uh, the use of, uh, you know, a change in terminology, uh, you know, away from chronic uh, concussion symptoms to more of the, the use of uh, persistent uh, symptoms. You know, what, what are your thoughts on that? What, uh, why do you think that uh, wording change uh, is taking place? I think the wording changes are taking place because we're trying to get some consistency and also trying to reflect the the nature of the injury a little better. You know, post-concussion syndrome has always been a phrase that's bothered me. One, because I don't like giving anybody a syndrome. People get syndromes and they don't. There's this sense that they don't get better from them. They just exist. Um, but what we're really dealing with is what the language currently reflects, and that's we're dealing with persistent symptoms. They're persistent post-concussion symptoms. Uh, where those symptoms arise from is extremely varied, but at least if we're starting to use the language of persistent concussion symptom symptoms, there can be hope for, for people in that scenario that they will get better. We just have to understand where those symptoms are coming from and then guide our treatment towards that. What are your thoughts on uh, baseline testing? I mean, do you think that every uh, uh, you know player should have baseline testing, or is this something that should only be done on a case by case basis? The official stand of the international consensus on concussion is that baseline testing is not recommended for widespread use, and that seems acceptable to me to a degree. There. Widespread use is perhaps okay, or, or not in widespread use, but we do have our athletic populations that are involved in contact and collision sports on a regular basis, 
And the value of baseline testing is that you have some knowledge about an individual pre-injury and that knowledge about them pre-injury can help understand when an injury has taken place. It can also help understand when an injury is resolved. We need more than our symptom checklists to look at both ends of diagnosis and resolution. And baseline testing should be providing objective measures. So it just gives a little more confidence in terms of giving that okay for, for return to play. It gives more confidence, but no one baseline tool should or, or can be used in isolation at this point. We don't have enough knowledge to use each one independently. There's always seems to be a, each one seems to have a piece of the puzzle, but none of them have, have it all figured out. If they had it all figured out, then it would be easy. We would all just get baseline tested. We'd all know when we were injured. We'd all know when we were better, but we're not there yet. Yeah, you still have a ways to go, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to talk a little bit more uh, about some of the practical elements of concussion management. And uh, first off, I'd like to know um, how you manage a return to play uh, post-concussion uh, with, your, with your patients. Return to play um, comes in a couple different categories for me. The first one is, is how do we manage return to play in an acute injury? Uh, in, a, in an injury that is, is by and large going to recover well. So the brain part of the injury is spontaneous. And as a physio, I love being able to observe that spontaneous recovery. And I'm comfortable knowing that I didn't have any influence on it, that I was just able to observe it. I was able to see the balance return. I was able to see the function return, able to see symptoms resolve. In that scenario, return to play follows the international consensus um, step-by-step process. There's six steps that we go through. The first one is always rest. And then we add in, um, once that's finished, we add in the the, uh, exertion uh, just to see if a person can handle the increased uh, cardio demands. Um, if that passes, then we move on to what are the elements in that individual sport. And I'm going to even say work. Um, if that person works in a garage versus works in an office, what are the elements in those workplaces that we can replicate in the clinic? Does, are there symptoms coming back from that? If so, then we can't proceed to the next step. But if not, then we can. And then we get to put things together. So each step is is actually very thoughtfully put together. I know it looks like a five-step list, but each step adds an element. So you have cardio, then you have sport-specific, which should involve movement. Then you have some cognitive load when you add a team element to it. Um, and then you have the, the proof where a person can handle a contact situation and not have any symptoms recur. And then there are Um, But before contact, there's a need to involve physician and get proper medical clearance to say, yeah, we're actually ready for it now. Yeah, what we can do is uh, put uh, those uh, guidelines in the show notes as well so people can can reference that that, uh, list, uh, which would be good. Um, What are your thoughts around... um you know, and, and I guess, you know, have you had any challenges dealing with uh, and managing, you know, player, even parent uh, psychology around return to play? Um, 
because I'm, I'm sure that, you know, people are itching to get back and they may feel fine. And, you know, and how do you, how do you manage that? However many years ago, I, I did get yelled at in hallways at, at arenas and sports fields. I, I don't get yelled at anymore, or at least not very often. Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there is, there is a need to manage the, the parents and the players and, and gain the understanding. And once you've gained the understanding, it all, it all falls into place. But there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of, of non-information or a lack of understanding about what's going on. And I think that things are getting easier. What I'm seeing more of now is parents wanting to be sure as opposed to wanting to push. And the players, by and large, will always want to push. Uh, and that that's okay. They can push. I love the eagerness and I rely on the eagerness as a, as part of the motivation to get better. Um, but it, it's managing the expectations and it's setting appropriate boundaries and having those boundaries understood ahead of time or, or at least at the time of the injury and, and providing the accountability. I'm sure obviously, you know, having that coordination and collaboration with the, the coaching staff is, it's obviously probably, you know, important as well, right? Always better, always better with, you know, uh, respect between coaches and training staff is, is great because then you can make tough decisions. You, you know, the, the heat, everybody's excited and everybody's got this adrenaline going during a game. We all have different roles on a, on a, in a team situation where a coach has to coach and manage and encourage and push. Um, and not just one athlete, but, you know, 20 to 40 or to 50 athletes at a time. That, that's their role. My role is to put some safety boundaries around that. We don't, we're not always in line with each other at the time of an injury, but knowing that the respect is there underneath it all is what makes it easy because you can always talk it out after and you can always say, you know, this was, this was the reason for the call and there's that mutual respect there. So what would you say in terms of, uh, you know, if you think about your practice, uh, you know, over the last little while, what, what would you say is, have been, you know, the biggest challenges in terms of uh, rehabbing uh, concussion uh, patients? Probably one of the biggest challenges is something we touched on earlier, and it's semantics. It's being able to coordinate with the other medical practitioners and know that we're all using the same language and that we're all trying to understand the same thing. Uh, right now, and, and there is difficulty with that. You know, we're not always using the same words in the same way. Um, and that leads to misunderstanding when that leads to an apparent conflict between medical professionals. I think that's always an uncomfortable place for the patient to be. I don't like them to be that way. I have, have an inherent confidence that if the medical the other medical practitioner, be it a GP or a sports medicine physician or, uh, or another physio, if we were both in the same room and able to say, this is what I mean by, and you know, if we put our heads together, I, I have ultimate confidence that we would be on the same side. Um, it doesn't appear that way to the patient a lot of times. And I think that's, that's not a very good place for the patient to be. They, they feel like they're getting conflicting advice. And that, to me, is a, is a challenge that I would like to overcome. So, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I think it's sometimes the challenge is that, uh, you know, sometimes you're getting information from the other healthcare provider via the patient and you know if there's there can often be some of those uh, breakdowns in terms of the communication channels 
Um, do, is there anything that you do specifically to help improve that communication channel with providers? Yeah, I started communicating with my doctors, with my family physicians, whoever that patient is attached to. Um, communication with that with that medical practitioner is is key to key to making sure we're on the same page with that individual. So what advice would you have for other uh, physios that are interested in, in um, taking more of an, of a, um, you know, or, or looking at, at getting into uh, concussion rehab in a more serious way? What would you, what would you recommend? I would recommend an, an, a, an understanding of the physiology behind the injury, understanding that it is um, multidimensional and multi-system. Uh, it's a it's a complex injury. It is a brain injury, so there is neurology involved. It occurs with a mechanism that involves musculoskeletal components to it, with a, a head forward and back or side, or with rotation. So that involves neck. Um, it has the ability to affect our autonomic systems, which regulate heart rate and exertional components. So it seems to me that it, a concussion injury touches all facets of what a physiotherapist does, recognizing as well, though, that it goes outside of that because there are the psychosocial components of the injury. And because it is a brain injury, it does affect emotions and moods and sleep. Um, it also affects cognitive. Now, those are things that uh, physios are not necessarily trained to do. So we have to understand that because it's a multi-system injury, it's also in its most complicated form, a multidisciplinary approach to resolution is often the key. And are there any courses or uh, seminars that you would recommend for someone that's interested in diving a little deeper in this area? You know, I think my preferred method to getting involved in concussion is to start with acute concussions where you have the ability to 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 watch and see and intervene at very light levels, uh, I guess, where the the bulk of the brain injury portion is is a spontaneous resolution, and I think that's the happiest resolution. Uh, acute injury is a is a place where I think as well physios are are going to be seeing more of those because people we're primary care, which means people can walk into a physio clinic and say, you know, I was playing this game and now my neck is sore. Yeah, you know, I have a bit of a headache and, you know, I wasn't really feeling well and I did need help off the field or or I, I was in a car accident, you know, and I was really wobbly when I was in the ditch. Those kinds of things come to a physio without necessarily having the doctor vet it first. So we need to know how to handle those situations. We need to have a have concussion on our radar as being able to screen that and courses that allow us to do that, I think are, are a good thing. Um, courses and weekend courses and, and day courses though, just also understanding that the injury is extremely complicated and a weekend course or a tool in a toolkit isn't going to be the be all and end all. Like we, we to be dedicated to concussion is one thing to be aware of it is another. Which obviously makes, you know, understanding when to refer out to, you know, all the more important. 
Cody, thanks for being on the show today. It's been really great uh, chatting with you about uh, concussion and and uh, just you know hearing your passion uh, about this uh, practice area. It's been really good to have you. So thanks for being here.